Yep, I'm on now. Okay, make room. As I said earlier, this this was inspired by a song that I heard earlier this week. Uh, go ahead and turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 2. chapter 2. Before I actually read in Luke chapter 2, I actually want to read a story that I came across that I thought I wanted to use this as a comparison to uh, Mary and her uh, experience in delivering um, Jesus, the Son of God, uh, and, and the, birth, the birth stories and the comparison between the two. And let, let me read this story to you. <clears throat> this was, uh, I think it was back in 2018, so it wasn't a a story that's up to date, so to speak, but it's there's sometimes there's those timeless stories you could tell them no matter how far back they were, you could tell them now. And we know that because the Christmas story is one of those timeless stories you could tell it forever. Um, so this was uh, actually given by USA Today back in 2018. Uh, you won't hear a crazier birth story than Tia Freeman's, the 22-year-old from Nashville delivered her son alone in Turkish in a Turkish hotel room on March 7th. Using nothing but YouTube videos, WikiHow articles, towels, shoelaces, a teapot, a mug, and a pocket knife. Now, if I stopped there, you'd be like, I, I want to hear the rest of that story. Because there's something about that, right? There wasn't an epidural, nurse or doctor, just a bathtub filled halfway, and a towel to bite down on as she welcomed her son Xavier into the world. Freeman shared her story in gritty detail on Twitter uh, and um, on that Tuesday and confirmed the story with USA Today on Thursday. Here's what happened. In January, the National Guard member found out she was pregnant with her third, uh, on her third trimester. She'd already booked a two-week vacation with friends in Germany. But she decided as long as the baby didn't come early, she would be fine to go overseas. Cut to Freeman's cramping up uh, at, on her Atlanta to Istanbul flight in early March. She figured it was food poisoning from salmon she ate on the plane. But the cramps got worse while waiting in the customs line. And as she prepped for a 17-hour layover in instant. She searched, she searched online for signs of labor, still questioning whether the pain was food poisoning. It became clear once she checked out into the Wow Hotel in Istanbul that she, where she would give birth to her son about 30 to 45 minutes later, that she was in labor. She didn't call medical officials for various reasons. She didn't think she'd make it in time. She feared no one would speak English, and she didn't know how insurance would work in a foreign country. I didn't know what the country's emergency number was, but thinking back on that, it's something I could have probably Googled, she said. Inside her room, she Googled how to deliver a baby and finds a video guide. 
I guess you can find anything, right? By the time she fills the tub halfway with water and laid down her back on the bathroom wall, Xavier was on his way. She said she pushed just five or six times before the baby came out and quickly floated to the surface. She had chosen not to discover the uh, sex of the baby, so she quickly checked to find out whether it was a boy or a girl. However, the placenta was still inside her, umbilical cord hanging. So uh, again, using the Internet's guidance, she um, massaged the placenta out. She then Googled how to cut an an umbilical cord and finds a helpful WikiHow article calling for clamps and scissors, two things she, she didn't have. She uses the hotel room, hotel's room teapot to boil water and sterilizes shoestrings and her pocket knife in a mu- and a mug. As Xavier lays on a towel in the bathroom counter, she, tr- she ties off two points of the cord to cut off fluid and cuts with the knife. She was pretty calm even from the beginning except for when he first floated to the top. She said of Xavier, now seven weeks old, I was just making up. I was just making it up as I went along. And after this, she breastfed him while sitting at the room's desk. She then placed him on the bed and cleaned the bathroom, which she described as a set from a horror movie. Exhausted, she went to sleep along with Xavier. The next morning, she and Xavier, the next morning, went back to the airport. That's an incredible story. But the reason I decided that I felt like I wanted to read that story is, is because that, that captures our attention. You don't hear stories like that normally. It's not like something that we, we get to hear or see very often. But when you think of the story of Mary, it makes this story look like she was in the hospital. It it just changes the whole complexity of what Mary went through. And I think it's so important that we get the idea of Mary was not in a hospital. And sometimes we read over the actual Christmas story of what took place that day and miss the bigger part of the details. And so I think that if we took time to even think about what the Bible doesn't tell us, but what it would have probably felt like if you were in that situation, I can only imagine what we need is a taste of the culture. We need an experience of the time. All of us could go back in a time when there was no airplanes, no cell phones, none of the technologies of today, and only imagine the difficulties of how people just even made it. I remember uh, I had a, an opportunity with an old man that I worked for. He was, I believe, in his late 80s at the time. And he took us... He lived in Walla Walla, but he took us over the Hell's Canyon and all the way down to the bottom of it. So, you know, through Imnaha, up to the top of the canyon, and then back down. And uh, then there was this fenced-off area where it was, there was a dead end. There was nowhere else to go. The fenced-off area to private property. And uh, it wasn't his property, but he wanted to show us this. So we walked around the fence and no permission or whatever. Uh, we didn't get into trouble. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have gotten in it. I don't know, but... We didn't do anything to hurt anything. But anyway, we walked back there for probably at least a mile, I would, I would say. Um, and there, as we walked closer, we saw this broken down cabin. 
the roof was falling in. Maybe there was a, one wall up and maybe a partial of another. And that was his old homestead. And trying to grasp in my mind what that would have been like was phenomenal to me. I like, how did people even live to be 30 years old or even any older than that in that kind of an environment where you're so far from town, you had to, you had to make do with what you had. And they knew how to do it. But for us, it's a lost concept. And I think when we look at the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, we have to remember that there's such a lost concept to us that we actually have to study and look into the history and, and to get more of an idea what this family went through and what it took, what had to take place in order for Jesus to be born. So if you'll uh, read with me in Luke chapter 2, we're going to get a brief setting of the story of Jesus here. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And it came to pass in those days, actually I think I'm reading in verse 1 here. I'm going to actually start in verse, I think that's where I'm at here. Yeah, I'm going to read in verse 1. Sorry, I don't know why I had in verse 4. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, and all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made by Cyrenus, who was a governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now, searching and looking for more of the details, you have to see a little bit of the background. The idea was they were being taxed and they had to go all the way to Bethlehem in order for uh, to be a part of this event. And she's already she's uh, on her due date traveling. Let's just say it that way. In any moment, she can give birth to Jesus. But she's not riding in a comfortable car. She's, she has a donkey to ride on. I don't know, ladies, uh, you get the idea. That's not, I'm ready to have this baby at any moment. And the rugged terrain and the difficulty of what that would have been like is something, again, try to imagine. Try to bring into mind that. One is, is that I want to paint a picture that this, this story of the Christmas story is painted with sorrow and pain. It's painted with difficulty. Some of the most difficult human struggles are in this story. And one of them is for a woman. But I imagine what it would be like for Joseph looking at his beloved in the face and wondering, I wish I could spare you from this. What could I do to make this more comfortable for you? And I'm sure he did everything in his endeavor to be able to do so and found that there was not much to be able to do under the circumstances. But back then, it was normal to them. To us, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. They arrive into what's obviously a very busy community. And you know, I wondered to myself, how is it that there's no... It's not just how is it there's no room in the inn. How is it that nobody's willing to make room in the inn? Like, you're pregnant? 
you look like you're ready to have a baby. You know what? I'll go sleep out on the ground somewhere. I don't, there's, there's a part of this that doesn't quite make sense to me. But I would like to say is that if, if there really wasn't that kind of compassion, imagine the difficulty it is to be Joseph and Mary at the moment of how come nobody is taking consideration as if to think of what if you were in this place? But maybe the environment around them feels cruel and harsh and difficult. And so the only place for them was a feeding stable, if you want to call it, and I'm sure very much different than anything we would have today, a feeding stable for animals. The manger is not a baby's crib. A manger is is a, a feeding trough for an animal. And so that's what she had is to lay her baby in. And I want to I want to grab some pictures here because I think part of it is that you don't have this idea that there's blankets, there's a sterile environment, there's a place really meant for a baby to be born. The harshest circumstances, I can't tell you if it was the harshest climate, but everything about it was harsh and difficult. That's the reality. There are things that I, I would suppose that if you could have just compared the difference, and I'm going to give some comparisons here in a moment, but I wanted to paint the picture of this is an outdoor kind of event. I don't even know what kind of a, a uh, privacy protection that she has in this moment. I, I don't know exactly what this all looked like, but I can imagine it was humiliating, it was difficult, and probably in many ways, you know, ladies, that some of us, I'm sure that you feel like I wouldn't do it outside of a a hospital room, just in case. And and whenever you do those natural births, they always have it ready for if they need to call in an emergency, they'll call in that emergency. But there was no one to call in for an emergency in this event. There was no doctor available or on hand. And the other part of it is, is that how much practice did she have? And preparation beforehand, the knowledge and what, how to do this. So when we read the story of Tia Freeman, we think, wow, no, this is her first time going through something like that. But she had some amenities and comforts that Mary could have only wished for. She had a hotel room and Mary had an animal stable. Tia Freeman was able to lay her baby on a bed. Mary laid Jesus in a manger, a feeding trough. You know, I want to say this before I go any further. I want you to think about I want you to think about how God the Father looked down on these events. Didn't he see the suffering? Didn't he see the pain? But didn't he also know that when you took a glimpse and thought about the events of history and the difficulty and the miracles and all the sorrows that brought the Son of God in the world, wouldn't you get a glimpse of the love of God for yourself? Wouldn't you see how dearly, how preciously He holds you in His mind? That God wouldn't just make sure that all was easy, but in the hardships and the difficulties, He wanted to to paint a picture for you of how great and how tremendous the love of God is. She had the, uh, Tia Freeman had the assistance of YouTube 
We do not know what Mary had. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Did she, did she see a mother or a grandmother? Did she have any kind of experience of what natural birth looked like? I'm sure they had more, she had more of a touch of that than we do today. Tia had a bathroom or a bathtub. Mary only had what was available in a stable for animals, which is very much different than what we would have today. Now think about that. You know, there's like, that makes it even all the more difficult. There's a reason for, you know, babies being born in water. Um, I don't know exactly what that reason is. But I know that it helps, it helps in the relief, relief of the complications, at least. T had, fair, had a fairly sterile environment to have her baby. Mary had a doctor's nightmare for sterile. Can you imagine? Miss Freeman had a temperature-controlled room, or at least she could have controlled the temperature. I'm sure at some point she wasn't controlling anything. Mary had the chill of the night air. Whatever that air felt like in that moment, that's all that she could. She couldn't change anything about that. Tia Freeman had towels and sanitary items available to her. Mary again had only what was that was available or what they had brought with him on the back of a donkey. Miss Freeman was able to travel to her hotel room in the comfort of a car. Mary, on the other hand, rode on the back of an uncomfortable donkey. <clears throat> this is an awesome picture. This is amazing to me. You know, we hear stories of human sacrifices, sufferings, and struggles. You hear of heroic events. This is a heroic event. Sometimes it feels like it's unavoidable. Obviously, Mary had to have that baby, the circumstances, what they were, but it's still a heroic event. I wonder what the emotional struggle and trauma over her mind was like as it got closer and closer to this birthday. I wonder what it felt like. And, and we want to say that, you know, in a certain sense, that God just takes away the emotions, but not necessarily. God helps you in the emotions, in those moments. And sometimes I wonder if we're not looking at what we're facing, but what it's going to be, the hope of what will be. So what are we to gain from this comparison? And I want to share a few things with you that I think are so important. You can give an amen anytime you want. This is one of the parts where we hear a question that sometimes struggles with, why does God allow suffering? I want to say this. What appears to be a lack of providence and care by God is really a series of miracles to the urgency and necessity of the Christmas story. It's a series of miracles that are taking place. The providence of God is there all along the way. How could you not see it? You know, oftentimes we tell the stories of the struggles that we had to go through, situations that were a nightmare to us. I remember times when I had been out working out in the cold, and I had, I had a pair of worn-out boots and a pair of old rubber uh, boots that you, you actually had the metal uh, straps on them to go over the top of my boots, and I was frigid cold. We would have frost icicles that were sometimes that long because we lived in the Walla Walla Valley, and that fog would hang in there in the wintertime for a month. And I would go out there to work out in the cold, and I'd be frozen. And I remember the, the struggle that I had to go through mentally to tell myself, just keep going another hour. Just push one more. 
as much as I was like frozen to the bone. And we'd, even lighting a fire was difficult in some of that cold. And I had one, uh, one big crane that we would operate. It was, uh, it was a 50-ton uh, crawler crane with a big magnet on it. And it was a solid metal crane. And I would have rather just grabbed an icicle and held it for eight hours than I would crawl into that thing. It was so cold. And I remember I would never get into that till like the last 30 minutes of the day because I knew the moment I got in it, I would never warm up until I got back to the house. And you'd ask me, James, would you rather go do that the rest of your life or experience what Mary did? And I'd say, I'd rather go do that the rest of my life. What she faced... Some of those, but I can say from my emotional struggles, I can say from the mental blocks that I went through, I can only imagine, but I get a more clear picture of probably what was happening here. But I want, I, what I remember also is, is that sometimes the clarity of God's heart came in those bitter moments of my life. Sometimes the feeling of I, I only wanted, you know, you, you think about this, when it's cold, when the environment around you is difficult, what do you want the most? What do you want the most? You want to go where it's warm. You want to go where it's comfortable. And I'm going to tell you, when life gets difficult, the place we want to go is where the love of God is the warmest. We want to be where He is, nearer and dearer to our hearts. And so God doesn't wait until you get out of the cold for Him to share His love with you. He shares it with you in those difficult moments of life. And, and, you know, and I remember the hot of summers. And the hottest summers would bring me to the worst of thirsts. I was like so thirsty. And I'd have a gallon of water. In less than four hours, that thing was down. I could, I could down at least two gallons a day, every single day, and sweat it out of my head. And remembering how thirsty I was. And I remember thinking to myself, the reason I'm thirsty is because it's hot. If I was in a, a comfortable environment where I wasn't working and it wasn't hot, I wouldn't be thirsty right now. And God knows you. <laughs> God knows you. And He knows that the only way to get you thirsty is put you in a hot environment. And the only way to make you want to be warm and comforted by His love is to put you in a cold environment. And He does it out of His great love for you. And there's nothing in this story that tells us that God didn't deeply love and care for Mary and Joseph. And there's nothing in your life, no matter what you're going through, that God isn't saying the same thing. Maybe it's hard for you to see it, but He feels the same way towards you. Here's another thought behind it. It's, an, it's overflowing. So this story is overflowing with hardship to show that God is deeply involved in human suffering in ways beyond our understanding. Oftentimes people think of it just the opposite way. God's not there. Oh, maybe a lot of people aren't there. Maybe those who would be family and friends are not to love and comfort and hug. Maybe you don't feel the physical embrace of another person. But don't think for one moment that the tears of God don't flow in heaven over what might be going through your life. Don't think for one moment that God's overlooking the suffering that you're going through or the suffering of another person. Don't think that person as they're lying on their deathbed is wondering if they're going to make it another night. That God isn't really, in all of His integrity, looking down from heaven and looking upon that part, in that person. 
He knows your sufferings. You know, you would think that the story of the gospel would really open up to us because the reality is, is that Jesus Christ suffered the most immense human pain you could possibly suffer. God the Father could have delivered him from suffering because he saw the pain of his own son. But he didn't deliver him from the pain because he saw that there was a purpose. A purpose. It's loaded with sacrifice and perseverance, this story, to call out our noblest virtues regarding a purpose sacred beyond any other of which we call Christmas. See, there's, a ton, there's a lots of moments in life where we can say, I feel like I'm ready to let go and give up. And so you can see with Joseph and Mary, I'm sure there's a lot of times we say, if I could just let go of this stress, if I could give up this situation in life, if I could end it today, I would. And there are people struggling with the pain and the struggle of all of that. And I'm sure in many moments of their life, they felt like I could just crave death over the pain of the circumstance. And yet, what you see in this story is, is that it's the noblest of virtues, the purest of human behavior is revealed to us through these pages to show us that virtue is not lost when we struggle or when we suffer. That the faith of a Christian is to continue long beyond our own trials and to look to God in the midst of those struggles that you go through no matter how deep and how difficult. And God gives us stories that are bigger than our own sufferings, greater than all the difficulties you will ever know on this side of eternity, so that He can show you, if He brought somebody else through it, that your story is no less on His list of taking care for. If God so clothes the grass of the field, how much more will He take care for you? We lose sight of this because emotionally we feel like we've been lost. We feel the depression weighing down on us and we don't know what to do with those feelings. And all along our mind is disturbing us and telling us that the creator of the universe somehow lost track of my life. And no, he hasn't. He hasn't lost track at all. And oftentimes you've lost track in your depression and you've forgotten that there's a house with a fireplace and a warm place of love and you won't knock on that door one more time. And remember this, that he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. The only difference is this, God doesn't force you into his living room. God doesn't force you into that place of warmth and the comfort of his love. He invites you. And all circumstances in life should give you a greater reason. Imagine this, the greater your suffering should be, the greater the reason to get there quickly. As if to think about this, it's the difference from 50 degrees to 32 degrees below zero. The colder it is, the more I want to get into that place of warmth. It's a reminder that no matter what you are, where you are in life, there's always a place in God's, God's room for you. And then I want to say the last thought is it climaxes with a triumphant ending to show that tragic circumstances which make their way into every human life when left to God's care, will certainly end in His glory. Can I read that one more time? It climaxes with a triumphant ending to show that tragic circumstances 
which make their way into every human life, when left to God's care, will certainly end in His glory. Amen. But you have to remember something. You have to remember you can't look at what's in the middle. You have to be looking forward to what's not yet. What hasn't happened. The triumph is at the end, not in the middle. I remember a brother once told me, he said, the, the, the harder the battle, the sweeter the victory. Anybody got an amen for that? Good to hear that one. Amen. So what are we to do with the birth of this Christ child? We're to make room for him. We're to make room for him. This story is filled with human reality, inescapable resemblance to your most difficult struggle. And God wants to do life with you no matter what you face. I'm going to keep saying that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God wants to do life with you. He just wants your open door. Let's just say this. Is your, if you got an open door policy 24-7, God, you can make your way into my life. You can make your way into my heart. I will, I will give you open door anytime, any access. I know Dan would do that for me. It's like open door. James, you can come in anytime. That brother, he would, he'd let me in at 1 o'clock in the morning. But don't do for a human what you won't do for Jesus. Okay? This story is overflowing with as much of why would God allow, you've heard that a thousand times, as we could ever know, and yet the answer is at the end and not the beginning. Learn to trust Him for the end. His faithfulness will carry you through the middle. Here's a scripture for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Our suffering isn't because God's not there. Our suffering is because we don't acknowledge Him in our ways. We don't, we don't invite Him in. This story shows that the world then was too busy and distracted to have room for the Son of God. Are you any different? Big question. Are you any different? We've got a lot of stuff going on in life. Got a lot of stuff going on right now. We call it the holiday season. You got Thanksgiving, you got Christmas, you got New Year's. We've got an anniversary coming up. Amen. Yeah. Got a lot of stuff going on. And most of us in this county, most of us don't have the money to take care for all of it either. We got a lot of stuff going on, but make sure you have room for Jesus. This busy communal area of our life and our hearts can bustle, bustled with all kinds of stuff going on, and yet we don't have room for Him in our end. Receive the gospel. So what are we to do with this Christ child we receive the gospel? Stop trying to be good enough on your own. Wow. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's one Christmas present we need to make sure is under the tree this year. That's the gift that God has given. 
I want you to unwrap that present over and over again. I was thinking about the salvation story of Jesus by grace is not something that ever ends in a Christian's life. We're always being saved. God is always delivering us from the cruelty of our own nature and the frailness of our own human problems. God is always there in the midst of that. And so the, the struggle is, will I ever do anything that's good enough? And the real reality is that God come, wants you to come just as you are. Just as you are. I could tell you today, if the worst criminal that's on death row were to walk in this place and he were to listen to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that all of his sin, as is, Jesus paid a price that's good enough to wash him from all of his sin. I'm not just saying just what he's done. It's to change the nature of the man so that he will never live to be the one that he was. Jesus changes you from the inside out. He makes you a new person. We preach salvation here. I preach salvation. I do not preach in just forgiveness. If you got forgiveness of sin and didn't get washed from sin, you missed the whole boat. Stop believing in other ways of getting to heaven. If you want Jesus in, you got to stop believing there's another way. And Jesus answered in verse John chapter John chapter 3 verse 3. John answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born again? It just means that God comes in and He He gives life where there was no life. He regenerates you. He takes the sinful desires out and He puts a new heart for righteousness in. See, this is the thing. Faith is not our salvation. Faith is the way to our salvation. You don't believe in God, you're not going to get there. You have to believe in Him, but He's the one that does the work. He does an inward work that's so powerful, so regenerating, that I can tell you, when God does His supernatural work inside of you that makes you a son or a daughter of God, you will never doubt it the rest of your life. You are as certain that you have been regenerated and born into the family of God as the, as the air you breathe. Radical power of what God does in a human life. Don't let the guilt of the past keep you from giving yourself to God. Repent and believe. God will undo your past, forgive your sin, and make you new. Repent and believe. Repent is just to have a change of mind. This is the way I used to see things, not the way I see them anymore. And now I'm changing the way that I look at sin. I change the way I look at God and the world around me. I'm going to make this book a priority. It's God's Word. God does the renewing. God changes the life. <clears throat> Saying the time is fulfilled. So we're going to look at this scripture in Mark 1, chapter, verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Walk obedient in the light of the truth that God gives. My conclusion here is this. Live near to Him all the rest of the days of your life. We begin this life with Him by surrendering to Him. We continue this life with Him by remaining surrendered to Him. This is the Scripture with it. John chapter 4, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
The Christmas story is all about God manifesting himself to us. It's wonderful what God does in our lives. We have an experience and let the Lord in. I have one other thing I want to share with you today. This was a, a poem written that I think fits the season and struggles of people today. And I want to share this poem with you. I'll do my best to read it. It's called Tis the Season. Over here sits a house that has been made a home with gifts and decorations galore. There are little ones running to and fro, waiting for Santa to bring one more. Mom and Dad have set the scene, a festive day spent with family and friends, where magic will happen and cheeks will shine with laughter from beginning to end. Over there is a house that sits quietly under a blanket of fallen snow. A widow holds her beloved's picture. Beloved, a widow be, uh, holds his beloved's picture and remembers how her face would glow when she would sing carols and listen for the sounds of Christmas bells, how she would dance happily through the house filled with holiday smells. A tear rolls from his weathered face and falls gently to the floor as his thoughts drift to his Christmas wish of holding her once more. Over here in an unkept apartment that looks out on a broken world, there is no tinsel or tree to be seen, just a dirty mattress upon which she is curled. She's an addict fighting demons that run rampant in her head. She takes the next dose and then falls silently into her bed. It gets her through the, another day to the hurts it makes her blind. Yet she hopes for better days when relief she might find. Over there is an empty nursery and the longing for a face so sweet. Yet the doctors have told them again and again, it's surely an impossible feat. Most of their friends have joyfully decorated in beautiful holiday hues while they spend their time dreaming of a nursery in pinks or in blues. They sit quietly hoping and wanting what comes easily for so many others, a brand new life to hold and to cherish, a tiny babe sleeping beneath the covers. But for now, they hold each other while carolers sing of Santa's sleigh. They will do their best to hide their hurt, but for now, Christmas is just one more day. Over here in the States, a young mother waits, quietly praying as the home fire burns, hoping for news of her soldier and waiting anxiously for the day he returns. She longs for his arms to hold her, making her feel safe and content. But for now, she sleeps without, now he sleeps without her inside an army tent. Their children are excited for Santa to come, but no gift could ever compare with having their hero walk through the door, answering her persistent prayer. These stories have common ground, although it might not appear to be so. The answer came from a miracle birth one night that sounds uh, that seems so long ago. Jesus came to this earth to bring us hope, to love us in our good times and bad. He knows our tears, our joys, our dreams, and he also knows when we're sad. He rejoices over our every breath. He's vested in our daily lives. He shares in our laughter, our victories, our pain, 
and sometimes with us, he cries. He loves every person, no matter the journey. And even when we're down and out during this Christmas season, let us remember that his love will never burn out. We don't know every story. We can't possibly understand each reason, but we can spread his love as he did during this holiday season. You know, this this poem actually came. I had already had the sermon. <laughs> I'd already had the sermon out. So this it matched perfectly. And the reason I say that is because I want I want you guys to see that the Lord does some amazing things to bring things together. It's remarkable. Well, let's take a few minutes. I'd like to have the worship team come up. We're going to take a few minutes, this or as long as you need to. I want to invite you. If there's a pain or a struggle you're going through, there's something you're facing this holiday season and you don't know what to do with it. I want to open this altar time for you. A brother or sister can pray with you. If you need that time alone, but you just want to give that moment to God, please do. If there's somebody you know who needs you to be praying for them, and you feel that urgency from the Lord this morning, I would ask you to take time to pray as well.